This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Today's episode focuses on the story of Jesus walking on water, found in Matthew 14, 22-36. Together, we will be discussing the importance of fixing our eyes on Jesus. Hi everybody, I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. And I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you this week to continue our journey through Matthew. Uh, Just as a quick reminder, last week we started uh, chapter 14 and looked at verses 1 through 21, which covered both uh, the beheading of John the Baptist and the the feeding of the 5,000. And really, when we addressed those two stories, we realized that there's ultimately two options that we have when we're faced with the kingdom of heaven. One is to accept it and live into it as Jesus did, and the other is to reject it and and even persecute it as um, as Herod did. Um, and so this week, we're going to just continue on this journey through chapter 14, beginning with uh, verse 22. Um, it's a pretty familiar story with Jesus walking on water, and uh, we're going to have uh, Derek read it for us, and then we'll jump into some conversation and what it might mean for us today. So Derek, would you take it away? So this is Matthew 14, 22 through 36. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountaintop by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because of the wind against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. All right, so there is our our, uh, story for the day. Um, What observations do you have? What what points of conversation do we have? So I think one of the... um, one of the obvious things for me was um, this, as Peter steps out of the boat um, in verse 30, it says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And so I just imagine Peter out there on the water and, you know, having so much zealousness for Jesus and confidence um, resolved really to follow him. And then, you know, circumstances change, right? The wind picks up, the waves pick up, and 
then Peter, you know, in a moment of weakness, takes his eyes off the main thing and starts to look at the waves around him, starts to notice the wind around him and all the problems that are, that are coming up. And so when I, when I read this, I guess, um, and think about my own life's experiences, you know, I, I can't, I can't even number the times where I've, you know, resolved in my heart, like I am going to follow Jesus, no matter what he's leading me out of the boat. I'm going to him. He's called me. I'm walking on the water and then things start to emerge. And there's a million things, um, screaming for my attention. Some of them are worries and fears, kind of like what Peter's dealing with. And others are just like the normal things of life that are emerging. And so when I think about what all these waves are, um, they're, they're really there and competing for our attention, Mm -hmm. um, when we're supposed to be keeping our eyes on Jesus. And, um, this week for Advent, we're talking about joy and I just, I felt impressed that, um, Jesus really wants to take our waves and he wants to exchange his joy for those waves if we'll keep our eyes on him. And so that was just, for me, that was something that I think I've needed reminding of continually, um, especially over this last year where, you know, we've, I feel like I've I've done a lot of walking on water. This made me think, uh, especially what you brought out there, um, the distractions and things. So this made me think of the, the, the soil and where the seed was tossed. And so the seed that fell among the thorns, this is chapter 13, verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth um, choke the word, making it unfruitful. And so I, that, that was a connection that when we were sitting around talking on Sunday that, that I kind of thought about because it's so easy to allow those things that come up to kind of choke us out. And so mm-hmm. uh, whatever they may be or the waves that come up in life, that it's so easy to allow those to come up and your focus is shifted from where where you've been called to to, to the things that are all around us vying for our attention. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's a great encouragement to know that when Peter cries out in those waves, Lord, save me. Um, he does, you know, he's there. And so when we turn and we, we look to him again and we resolve again to follow him, then he sets us, you know, sets us apart and tills our soil, um, as we had talked about before, or, or calms the, calms the waves, or at least gives us, courage to walk through the waves restores our trajectory mm-hmm. like that that broken like you know that broken line of sight is is restored when we know where to cry out to in in, in putting those two things together like you guys just did i i think the the thought that comes to my mind i know that the advent topic for this week is joy yet i can't help but think about hope in the midst of that conversation because I remember thinking back to our our podcast on uh, the parable of the sower and this um, it almost felt hopeless to me for the person for the seed that was uh, uh, cast among the thorns because they looked like the plant but they didn't bear fruit 
Um, and that seems like a pretty, for me, right. For me, that seems like a very dangerous place to be in. Um, and yet if there is a connection here, we know that Peter goes on to be the rock on which Jesus built his church. And so recognizing that that, that Peter allowing Jesus to cultivate his soil allowed him to move from potentially that seed that was among the thorns that was so easily distracted by the cares of this world into the seed that was sown in the good soil, which bore much fruit. And so I, I think for me, I just, I, I get excited at the hope that exists here because we see an an imperfect playing out of Peter's faith here in this moment, but that doesn't define him. His failure isn't what defines him. His focus ultimately is what defines him, and that focus is Christ. And and Christ restores him and and then activates him into ministry. And really, like it it builds. Like this is just a step in him recognizing who Jesus is because right. you know, who um who do you say that I am? And and it's Peter that is the one that that, that says you're the Messiah. And the so like there's this recognition, like uh, it, it, there's a building up to this place of where he sees Jesus for who he truly is and not just um, a prophet or someone like John, but even, you know, elevated to the position that, that John has made the way for, for Jesus. I think it's easy to read this and see Peter as a failure. It's easy to look at it and say, oh gosh, he took his eyes off of Jesus. He, he sank. Um, but, um, on Sunday, it really caught my eyes that he's the only one that got out of the boat. Um, there were other people in that boat and they watched him get out and the, uh, the other disciples, they were scared. They said it was a ghost. So we have, and when I see this and see, we have two options, we can sit back and watch somebody else. Or we can get up out the boat and we can put our money where our faith is. I don't know. Like, you know, put our faith in motion and do what we say we're going to do. If we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, prove it. Yeah. And Peter's pretty all in at that point. I mean, either (laughs) Jesus is going to help him walk on water or he's going to save him sinking. But either way, Jesus better act. And so you know, we talked about, we've talked about over the last couple of episodes, just being all in and what that looks like. And so here we see it actually played out in the lives of his disciples, which is really neat because that's the whole point of Jesus telling these parables is to instruct his disciples. And then we get to see the fruit of his instruction and of his teaching and discipleship played out in Peter's life. And hopefully, um, Brittany, as you pointed out, that serves as an example for the other disciples who are looking on, who then see that and think, man, if Peter can walk on water, maybe I could too. Maybe I could do that too. Maybe Jesus could help me do that too. And so it's, it's inspiring and it brings hope and, and encouragement. Enjoy. Yeah. Enjoy. I also think that, that Peter provides a great example for us in that, you know, they, when, when they saw Jesus, they had this, this fear, but his response wasn't fear. It was like trust as if you are 
then then ask like bid me to come like ask me to come and so his response was he said come i'm going to trust and obey that you are who you say you are and so he steps out and so like you said Brittany, like it it would be easy to sit back and say well look what look at how much of a failure peter is and i you know that was something that we kind of shared um at our table on sunday but if we step back and like recognize that it did take a great measure of faith to step out, like it's easy to be in the position of like where we can see, like looking back at the situation, but they're in the midst of it with um, Jesus in a way that we can't imagine and that we can't like, we, we didn't experience. And so, you know, we have, we have the Holy Spirit who's come and lives in us and with us and among us. And so it was different for them. And so in the midst of that, like Peter kind of does set the example of or or respond in the way that maybe Jesus would want each of us to respond, to not fear. Like we have no reason to fear, but our response should be trust. And then when he bids us to come, that we obey and we live into that. So I don't know, that was something that, that I hadn't noticed before. And so, yeah, thank you, Jesus. And I I think about like, if I saw somebody, if I was in a boat and I see this man on water, my first thought is not, I want to go out there too. My thought is, (laughs) how is he doing that? Like, I don't, Peter's response doesn't seem natural for me. But if he has seen all these miracles, he's probably like, Oh, if he can do it, I can do it too. And that Peter's reaction is I want to be like him. Mm-hmm. I want to do what he does. Um, and that should be our natural reaction. Our natural reaction should be, you know, we see Jesus do these things and I want to do those things. I, I want to be as close, closely to resemble Jesus as I possibly can. And in this instance, it's walking on water. And I, I think uh, in, in hearing what you say, absolutely, who wouldn't want to like be able to do the things that Jesus did? And, and I think, unfortunately, especially in the world that we live in, people might misinterpret that and hear, oh, they just want the attention that Jesus got. Like, oh, they want to heal somebody so people can be like, oh, you can do great things. But in this passage, as Derek's already pointed out, like Peter said, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus's response was come. It was an invitation into a participation. What what he was doing, which we kind of talked about this on Sunday morning as well. Like Jesus's intention for Peter at this time is for Peter to do what he is doing. If you go back in, in last week's conversation and you look at the feeding of the 5,000, um, the disciples' idea is to send everybody away because they're hungry. Um, and Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. So before Jesus, was, was, before Jesus actually performed the miracle of turning the loaves and fish into a feast, his expectation is that the disciples are going to do it. And so Jesus is not just like putting himself in a place where he is separate from them, but he is, he, 
being in nature, God is separate from them and beckoning them to come to where he is. Not expecting them to live below, but inviting them to to live alongside him. And so even today, like Jesus is extending this invitation to us as disciples not to live beneath or below the life that he lived, but to live into the fullness of life that he lived, which means that we ultimately would never say or do anything apart from hearing Jesus say or do it. And, and I don't know that there's just something about that that's, that's so exciting that until coming to this passage this particular time, I don't think I've ever seen that before. I've never seen this invitation into his divine activity. And yet that's exactly what's happening here. And that happens again and again and again. And then as you, you know, go into different uh, books of the New Testament, you, you have First John, which explicitly states that, that we are to, to walk as Jesus walked. And so it's not about doing what he did so the focus can be on us. It's about doing what he did because that's what he's calling us to do. And that is terrifying and exciting all at the same time. And really, like if we were, you know, we kind of talked about how we tend to view Peter in a negative light. Um, <clears throat> I think if there's another thing that we can take away from Peter, not to say that he was wrong, but the only thing in the whole, like the whole like circumstance of walking on water that he did, that we can that that we can learn from on in a negative sense, like is him being distracted and looking away from Jesus. And I mean, it's not like Peter is alone and, and taking their eyes off of Jesus. I think we've all been in that spot where we've taken our eyes because, because of a circumstance or a situation. It's not that we can go through life with blinders on where we don't see what's going on around us. But, you know, the, ultimately if, if where we're going is not pointing toward Jesus or toward what he's called us to, then it's easy to be begin to sink. And so it's not that necessarily that old Peter is such a wretch because he lost his focus and started to sink. But even in the midst of that, like he knew where to go to. Mm-hmm. Like right. he wasn't so oblivious to what was going on that he forgot who to cry out to. And so even in the midst of the times when we do take our focus off and Jesus, like, I pray that it, it becomes less and less all the time, that we're losing focus less and less. But when we do become distracted, like, may we always continue to, like, remember who can save us, who can go into the boat and and not just, like, ask the, the winds and waves to calm. Like, he gets in the boat and everything's calm. And so, like, may we always remember that the calm or that the peace comes from Christ alone. And as you were talking about that, it, I guess it occurred to me that, you know, Peter in this is allowing his faith to be put to the test by stepping out of that boat. He's allowing for his faith to be tested. And that produces this incredible character that we see in his transformation. And without that stepping out, maybe they don't declare in verse 33, truly you are the son of God. And so I think 
you know, to, to what you were saying, Derek, if we are willing to allow our faith to be tested, and even when we fail, we recognize we still cry out to Jesus, um, it's going to produce in us the God-like character, the Christ-like character that we're, we're, we're going for when we step out of the boat in the first place. And it's not, I mean, go further with that. Like, it's not just going to produce that in us. It doesn't say that um, when they got in the boat, Peter then said, truly, you are the son of God. It says those who are in the boat worshiped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. So it was Peter's stepping out on faith, doing something absolutely crazy that brought other people who were on the outside looking in at the craziness that Peter was doing to the realization of who Jesus was or to the remembering of who Jesus, like the reminding of who Jesus was or the affirmation of who Jesus was. And so bring that into, you know, us today and man, putting our faith in action is so important. Right not just for us and the strengthening of our faith, because I would say this definitely strengthened Peter's faith, but it's, it's not just about Peter. It's about those around him coming to the recognition as well. And so just as, it, as important as it is for us to walk in faith so we can grow in faith, it is equally or even more important for us to walk in faith so that those around us can see and recognize that Jesus truly is the son of God. That we're not just kooky people who like to follow this dude named Jesus, but we are maybe still kooky people that are actually following the son of God. I, I liken it to like giving us more to the story to tell. Like it's not our story, but it's part, our experience is part of the story that God has given us. And so when we do fall, like when we do like start sinking, it, it's, it provides us an opportunity to help those who are coming behind us because we, we're called to be disciples, so there are those coming behind us. And so it's an opportunity for us to say, you know what, I missed it in this area, and this is what God did to help me, and so I want to help you. And so it, it provides another element to the story to help those who, who come behind us to help our kids, but but to also as, as a reminder of like, look what God has done. Like I, I made, I made a mistake. I took my eyes off of Jesus, but you know what? I cried out. I knew the name to call and he came to my rescue. I also think there's something to this, this idea of presence in this passage, uh, greater than I even think I realized on Sunday morning. So on, on Sunday morning, in our conversation, I made the statement that um, previously when the storm was calmed, uh, it was calm because Jesus told the waves right to calm. But in this story, he doesn't say anything. He simply gets into the boat and it is his presence that calms the storm. Um, and which, you know, in this Christmas season that we're in, we talk about Emmanuel, God with us, and this idea that when God is with us, the, the storm calms, or maybe the storm doesn't calm, but we can find calm in the midst of the storm because he is present and he is there. Um, but it, when you read further, uh, the very last verse 
verse and a half, people brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. It just, it continues. This theme continues that it's, it's, there is something to presence. There's something to his presence that, that brings calm to storms, that brings restoration to what is broken. And people know that. And so they were just trying to be in his presence. And and man, maybe I have my own kind of confession to make in the midst of this. I don't know that I've ever found myself in a place of verse 36 where I'm just begging to touch the edge of Jesus's cloak. Jesus, I don't know that I've ever found myself just like dying like that for your presence. And if I'm not dying for that presence, man, people are dying around me because that presence isn't here. Maybe, I, I don't know. Maybe that's crazy to say. Brittany and I were having a, a discussion earlier today about not understanding addiction. It's not a place that we've lived in, anything that we've understood. And I tried to rationalize it in every way that I can. And there's nothing in my own experience where I understand like needing something to almost feel like you have to have it to survive. Like I can't live without it. And I kind of posed a similar question. Like, have I needed Jesus like that Hmm. in that same way? And that's kind of what I, what I was hearing and what you were saying. Like, have I needed Jesus that bad where I just like, I need to touch the hem of his garment, like more than anything. Like, do I need it that bad? And so, yeah, I, I think I find myself in a similar pl- similar place, like recognizing that I want Jesus that bad for myself, but I want Jesus that bad right. for everybody else right. that's sick and dying and needing to touch his the hem of his garment to be healed. And like, I know that Jesus, I know you can do that. Like, I know that you can do that within me. And I know that you can do that within others. And so I guess that's my confession and that's my prayer that I need you that bad. Um, and I don't, I don't understand the, what's going on chemically in someone's mind to need, like to have an addiction, to need something, to feel like they have to have it to survive. But I want to display that for the world, needing Jesus that bad that I cannot live without him, where my every thought and focus is on you and you alone, Jesus, and not the things of this world. So when the wind and the waves come, like nothing else matters because I see you. Not that people don't matter because they do, because to serve you, people matter. But to keep you so the focus that everything else around is is affected by you and that peace that you bring, that peace that you bring when you step in the boat, the peace that you bring when you come and people just know that they can just touch you, not that they even have to speak to you or look into your eyes, but they just touch the hem and they're healed. Like, I need it that bad. As we're talking about this, um, our desire for... Jesus's presence and how much that consumes our lives. I, I th- a thought occurred to me, and I'm going to say, I think Jesus might've put this thought there that if the church is the presence of Christ, 
if you and I, if we are the presence of Christ, then people should have that kind of desire to be in close proximity with us. Mm. And so if we're to embody, like Brittany said earlier, and Nick, you echoed again, if we're to really look like Jesus, I feel like people would be, they would be so drawn to the church. Maybe not like, you know, the Sunday morning institution of the church that we, you know, think about when we talk about the church, but they would be so drawn to the body, like of the church, the people of the church, that they would just want to be near them because there's just something so powerful about presence. I mean, that's kind of how it was for Jesus. Wasn't that he had to like proclaim to people like, I'm going to be here and just come to see me like, you know, we do for Sunday mornings. He would go and they would follow. And even when he tried to get away, they still followed. And so I can definitely like understand where you're, you're coming from there. And if there's an attractional model that's what it should look like. Not that they're attracted to something that we offer in programming or systems or services. Yeah. When the waves come, their eyes will be on those things. And there's no peace in those because you have to keep upping the ante to get people to be attracted to that. But Jesus by himself is and we can say that because we've had those experiences where we've seen like what Jesus has done. And so like, yeah, I, I, I hope and pray that we become so attractive to other people, not like uh, physically or anything, obviously. I'm hoping that we become spiritually attractive to people where they're just so drawn in. Like there's something different. And I know we all like to think that there's something different anyway. But I want it to be so different that, like you said, like they have no other choice but to be there because they're, they're like, Jesus is there every Sunday. And I know that. And he's, he's here. He's wherever we go. But there's almost like in, in this frame of mind, like, I know Jesus is so near what's going on there that if I don't go, I'm afraid of what I'll miss because some miracle might happen in someone's life and I missed it because I wanted to sleep in or I didn't want to go to the park or I didn't want to go to the thing at the lodge that they're having, whatever that event may be. And so I, I just hope and pray for the day that, that like Jesus's presence is so thick in Riverstone because that's our, that's our community, that his presence is so thick that people don't even want to leave the neighborhood and not that I don't think people want to leave, but they're just afraid, like, they're going to miss out on what Jesus is doing here. And then you have that snowball effect where it's not just Riverstone. It pours in to the Ranchos and to Fresno and to, to Sora. And I'm not saying that Jesus' presence is not there. I know it is. But, like, that it becomes so thick and so tangible that it spreads like a fire because we see those. We, we understand how those work here in California. And so I'm just hoping and praying for that day that it becomes so thick, like, people— 
they flock to his presence. And not that we, we know that Jesus, like, you're everywhere. I get that. But I'm just hoping and praying for the day where people just want to, they're afraid they're going to miss out on something. And so it's not more important to stay in bed, or it's not more important to stay in the house, or it's not more important to to make sure that I, I, I compete in this rat race so that I have all these things, that those waves become so small because his his peace has become so thick and, and covered so much. You see, when you talk like that, though, like you've been talking, Derek, like you've been talking, Natasha, it... It makes the church, it, it moves the church as we know it from being a product that we consume to a lifestyle that we assume. And that's hard. It, it, it's hard to give ourselves completely to a life like that. A, a life of... Again, coming back to the, the name of our podcast, A Life of Vertizontal Living, where, where we literally, every interaction that we are having in the world, we are taking that to Jesus to listen to what he has to say about it. So that way, when we speak, we are not saying our own words, but we are in fact saying his, his words. When we act, we are not doing our action, but his action. Like when we submit and surrender to a lifestyle like that, it is it is all consuming and i mean I, i've heard that statement i want to become less so he can become more when we talk like that we become nothing so he becomes all right and that's super counter to the culture that we live in today and yet jesus is jesus i think it even goes further than just today like we're almost trying to reset the, the the needle, so to speak, because that's not how it was for me. And so like to start, new, it's, it's almost like you're reprogramming your mind and only Jesus can do that. Like I can't reprogram my mind to, to think differently. And so like, it's like resetting the traje- trajectory from like this point forward, because I don't want my kids to be so consumed with the things that the world tells them to be consumed with. I don't or even, even the things the church tells them to be consumed with, or even the things the church. I don't even want them to be consumed with what I tell them is important. I want them to be consumed with Jesus and let Him work out the rest, because right. I don't know what's best for them. I mean, I think I know from my experience, but I mean, I can remember when when I was nineteen years old, I moved out of my house, and my dad was like, "You're doing the wrong thing," and I was like, "Well." This is what I think Jesus wants, so I don't see how it can be the wrong thing. Like, and and Jesus proved to be right. Not to say that my dad was wrong, but just because he thought it was best didn't mean that that was the right thing to do. So, like, it's hard, like, to completely like change our mindset and the way we think. Like, you know what? I don't know what's best for my kids. I don't know what's best for you, Nick. I mean, I think I could have an idea, but that doesn't mean that I know. And so you may even have to like go against what other people think is the right thing because doing what Jesus did, it might cause you to get out of the boat. 
And getting out of the boat and walking on water, especially for someone who can't swim, is super, <laughs> super not the right thing. <laughs> super dumb. Super dumb. I'm going to imagine for me, like Peter was like me. He couldn't swim. And so walking on water would have been something that other people would have been like, you're an idiot. <laughs> totally get it. I'm an idiot. Thank you, Grinch. Thanks, Jim Carrey. <laughs> but nonetheless, like that's the kind of thing. I imagine that that's how I imagine it. I'm like Peter. And everybody says, what are you doing? You know you can't swim. You don't have a life jacket. Why would you get out? Because the guy who made the water, who made the boat, who gave us the ability for our minds to think to make the boat said to get out. Like, what other choice do I have? And so it is, it's a complete mind shift. Like, thinking like Jesus is just different. It's just different. So I guess my question is, like, where do we go from here? Like, if we, we've come to this realization that His presence is so incredibly important, it's important in our lives, and it's important for those who are not yet in the boat. So, like, where do we go from here? I think it can be overwhelming to try to, I don't know, answer that question in full. Um, so I feel like our only response really can be that we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. Right. And then we're going to take it a step at a time, a moment at a time. And we're going to recognize that the winds are going to come and the waves are going to get real big. And we're going to have to keep our eyes on Jesus in the midst of it. You know, our response is to take it moment by moment. And like Derek said, Peter risked his life. Um, what he did was crazy and depended on Jesus. Even when the th- the, the waves and the wind came, he still depended on him to save him. And Jesus, his response is, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And I have heard this preached and I've heard it preached in a way that made it sound condescending, made it sound ridiculing, but that's not the Jesus I know. Right. And Jesus, when I, when I hear this, when I, when I see this, I see Jesus talking to Peter saying, where did, what's, what's going on? Where, where, where's the problems? What, what can we do? Um, because Jesus is a good leader and he knows Peter's heart. He knew that Peter had the courage to get out of the boat. He had the faith to get out of the boat. He, yes, he took his eyes off of him and he saw the waves and the wind, but he, he knew where to call out. And when I think about the times that I have taken my eyes off of Jesus, when I've realized, oh, oh, I messed up. I need to focus back on what, what's important. I've never felt like Jesus has been like, oh my goodness, why did you do that? Mm. Like you are not, that is not what you're supposed to do. It has always been a, all right, let's try again. All right, let's you've learned, let's do this again. And, and I think that at least for me, it's comforting to know that we serve a God 
who cares enough about me to keep going, to, to not give up, to every time that I sink and fall and lose sight of what's important, that he's right there to catch me and to talk about it. I think that's definitely consistent with who who God is. Like we see Jesus. I, I, oh, I just saw this mirroring of the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's going back to God and, and saying, do like, like, isn't there some other way? Can't we do something else? Please take this cup from me. And kind of like, you know, in a loving response, just like you said, Brittany, God looks at him, looks at Jesus and just, he lovingly continues to coach him and pour into him just affirmation and encouragement and love. And that's, I feel like that's, that's where this joy piece comes in is because his, his encouragement, it, it's, it's beyond anything that you can describe. Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.